Good morning. I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a, high, a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable, unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Amen. Well, good morning, 10 a.m. This is a weird morning, isn't it? If you are live in the building right now, you're watching me on a screen and not at the lectern, but you're looking past the lectern. What a strange thing. If you're at home, it all looks normal. It's the usual good-looking Jay, I, Jay, I jest. Good-looking Jason, not at all. But let's get into God's Word this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do pray today as we look at your Word through the wonders of technology that that won't get in the way but instead we'll hear you clearly, that we'll be encouraged to pursue a firm faith in Christ 
and that we'll grow to be more and more like him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invited you on a three-week journey last week. What I didn't say to you is how far we're going. So today we're going back 4,000 years in time, and then we're going forward to the end of the world till Jesus comes back. But by doing it, what I hope is that we will see, well, how to live today, to get perspective on living in this moment as a church. And it's all going to happen with the amazing power and special effects of Simon's mastery of technology. Go, Simon. We've got a problem. No special effects. I don't know what's happened today. So instead, we're going to sit in our homes or here live watching on with our Bibles in front of us as we think through Hebrews chapter 4. Now, last week, we started, well, we started to plot our steps forward as a church from God's perspective. And so we saw how truly awesome Jesus is. We saw that he has to be our focus, our foundation, the head of our house, the Campbelltown Anglican Church. But today we're going to look at things from sort of the other side, if you like, as believers. We're going to think through God's big plans for us and how we should live in light of them. We're going to think about how we should live while we wait for Jesus to come back. Now, to do these things, we, we have to look back. And it's actually important to look at history to understand your moment and how to live in it. I actually think the older you get, the better you understand that and you understand the place of history. Uh, in my case, it's particularly true. Uh, I went to Goulburn High and I was not the most diligent student of history. Uh, I remember in my history class in year eight, we were at the top of a building in this room that had really, really old school fans and they went really, really fast and they had steel blades that were really sharp. And so you can imagine a teenage boy, what was I to do? We experimented with what you could throw up into those fans to see what would happen. Uh, needless to say, my history teacher did not appreciate experimental science in our classroom, and I never really did grasp Year 7 and 8 history, but I appreciate it much more now, today. And so we're going to go back in time to the time of Moses uh, to see the lessons we can learn from him and from God's people back then. Now, I know you know the story. God's people were in Egypt, they were in slavery, they were crying out to God for help, and, and through Moses... They receive good news. God has heard. God has heard your cries, and he's going to help you to be led out of slavery and to a promised land. So they were trapped in slavery. There was good news from God. They were rescued. They went on a long journey, a long walk, and then they rested in the promised land. And you can read that as you read your Old Testaments. It all sounds straightforward, right? All sounds actually a lot like the gospel. Uh, aren't we as Christians trapped? Uh, we're trapped in sin, in slavery to sin. Uh, Jesus came along to give us good news. We've been rescued by his blood. We get to live the Christian life, often described as a long walk, and then we look to the promised land, that final rest where we live with God and Jesus forever. So the answer is yes to all, all the questions I was asking before, if you're, you're wondering, the gospel sounds a lot like the exodus from Egypt. The writer of the Hebrews is showing us actually the parallel between these two stories. And so now, now look at verse 2 in Hebrews chapter 4. The writer says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. And here's the lesson. 
the message they heard was of no value to them. Why is that? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now you wonder, what is going on? What is this? I think this is supposed to stop us here in our tracks. This is saying it is possible to walk with God's people and yet not enter his rest. Hebrews 4 is actually a strong warning to a church, to us here at Cameltown. It's a warning to our generation that says, could we fall out of God's rest? Now, if you cast your eyes back to chapter 3, verse 17, you'll see that some people did fall out of God's rest. Uh, You'll see there that some sinned, or or verse 18, chapter 3, some disobeyed, or verse 19, some didn't believe. I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the very first people I shared the gospel with, uh, in fear and trembling, I have to say, as I shared the gospel with him, became a Christian that night, and and it was so exciting, and I was rejoicing, and I wanted to tell everyone about it, and he changed, and it seemed like it was a really genuine and real thing. But three months later, he came to me and he said, I've given up. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Uh, I was devastated. He changed his mind, and he's never turned back from that day. But it raises the question, can a Christian fall away? At the time, I asked every leader I could meet, everyone that had any clue of the Bible, and the wisest answer I got was this, can a Christian fall away? Well, don't. Don't fall away. And I think that's what we'll see today. Don't fall away. The writer to the Hebrew says, don't fall away. Verse 1, he says, the promise of entering God's rest still stands. So don't fall away. Look to that promise. But of course, we haven't entered the rest yet. Uh, We won't enter the final rest until Jesus returns. And so that heavenly future does wait in the future. So he says in verse 1, be careful not to miss out. Be careful that your faith, well, is not of no value. Look at verse 2 there. A faith of no value is a faith that's a false faith. It's not belief. It's a different faith to those who did enter the land with Joshua. And so we have here a warning from the past that some amongst God's people had a false faith. Now, I think that still happens today. Uh, Let me give you a few pictures of how that happens today in our church life. Uh, There are some in church life, and maybe you know stories like this, who know all about Jesus. They can tell you everything about Jesus. And yet, the concerns and the worries of life choke out their love for Jesus, and they fade away. Or there are people in church life who who are like 2 verse 13, they become hardened, hardened by sin's deceitfulness, that is. And so they let temptations, sex, money, power, the great temptations for humanity, overtake them. And they cannot continue when they do in the gospel. Or then there's the person who becomes dull to God's word. See, they've heard it all before. So they come to church on a Sunday and they expect a preacher to stand up there and say exactly the same things they said last week over and over again. They come out of duty and so they're not prepared to change. And in months and years, this disinterest 
kills their faith. Well, then there's a person who, who does love Christian community, who loves the safety of being in the Christian house, if you like, but they also love being edgy. They also love pushing the boundaries. They also love to shock other Christians by saying, look how far I can push the grace that I have in Christ. And there's a thousand things they could do. It could be their drinking. It could be their, what they watch on television. It could be the things they say, the way they speak. You know the kind of person. You may have seen it. But when that happens, they cross the line from enjoying the freedoms we have in Christ into disobedience and fall from faith in Christ. Now, we could go on with many examples. I'm sure you could name your own. But the writer to the Hebrews is pointing us to history to say, sometimes people, they walk amongst God's people, but they don't actually trust in Jesus. And so in the end, they won't enter God's rest. Now, that is a challenging thought for all of us. There's actually many things we could talk about today in line with that and about the coming rest that we look forward to. Indeed, in term two, uh, the plan is that in term two, we'll look at the Ten Commandments and we'll get to the Fourth Commandment and I suspect we'll come back to this passage. And so I'm not going to go much further in this section other than to say, as we look back, we need to learn from the past. We need to learn, we need a firm faith, not a false faith. And as a church, we want members who are devoted to maturing to a firm faith, people who are concerned to enter into God's rest, people who are devoted to putting off sin, people who want to guard against unbelief. Which then brings us to an important question. If God has given his big picture plan to us, he's told us about the awesome Jesus, and if verse 11 says, well, there are those who have a false faith and will perish, then surely God would help us, wouldn't he? Surely God would give us a way to have a firm faith. The answer is yes, he would. Yes, he does. Our next heading, as we look at it there, we look forward and God is forging our faith as we head to the day, the final day of rest. Have a look at verse 12 there with me. It says there that the, the Word of God is alive and active. See, the Bible is not a book you should put on the shelf, leave there to gather dust and look impressive. The Bible is alive. The Bible is a book to read, it's to open, it's to digest. And it works actively in us. It, it actually does stuff to us. You see it there, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the very thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Now, at first glance, that sounds all a bit negative. It's not meant to be. You know, no one wants to be cut by a knife, certainly. But it's actually a really positive thing, that if you want to have a firm faith, then the fact that God has given us his sharp and active word to change us is wonderfully encouraging. The more we're exposed to God's word, the more we'll be forged, if you like, to be like Jesus. I'm fascinated by the art of the blacksmith, forging. There's many hobbies I like to pursue in a different life. Uh, this one would be hot work, but how cool would it be to take some metal, a lump of steel or, or iron, and heat it up and reshape it with a hammer? 
it just sounds awesome to create something useful. Well, I think faith works a little bit like the blacksmith does. So the blacksmith will, will heat and, and work the steel and shape. In fact, when he makes a blade, this is how he does it, he, he bashes out a blade and, and there is a blade. You've got a blade. But rarely does a blacksmith stop with the blade. He, he then folds the blade and bashes it out again and again and again, fold and bash, fold and bash. And he, he works it so it was a blade and it's still a blade, but the blade is better and better with time. It's actually how they make those samurai swords, a thousand folds. That's why they're so famous, samurai swords. Faith is a bit like this. See, saving faith is real the moment you trust in Jesus. It's real. It's faith. But God is constantly shaping the believer, shaping their faith, refining and forging their faith as they are exposed to God's word. Like the blade is always a blade, the faith is always faith, but it's refined and forged. That is what God's word does for us. It refines our faith so that we can be firm in it. One of the things I love in church life is, is actually hearing stories of how people's faith has been refined, how experiences and, and reading God's word and praying have shaped their life to, to grow them, to help them to be firmer in their trust of God. Uh, it's something I'm really wanting to see in our church services. I know you've done it before. I'm, I'm keen as the year goes on to establish it as a, a really regular practice to hear how God is shaping, refining and changing us in our faith. But can I say to you, if the joy of change is not enough of a reason for you to get into God's Word, and, and, and for some reason in our heads we rejoice, we've got God's Word, and in our actions we don't read it so often. If it's not enough, then verse 13 reminds us that not only did people perish in the past when they failed in their faith, they will in the future too. So look at verse 13. It says there that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, God's word should be forging our faith because there is a day of reckoning. It's to come, but there is a day of reckoning when all truth will be laid bare and, and we as Christians will give an account for our lives alongside all of humanity. On that day, we'll praise God for Jesus as the books are open and we see ourselves for real. And we have to remember that so that we don't forget those who face Jesus without knowing Jesus. But let's not skate over that danger as we hear about it. A false faith will be exposed. You can't fake it with Jesus. An unforged faith is a dangerous thing that could lead to unbelief. So we need God's word. That means if you haven't settled on a Bible reading plan for, for 2021, can I encourage you to do that now before the year really gets underway? Uh, if you find reading the Bible on your own really, really hard, why not try meeting regularly with people, one-to-one -to, -one to do that? I've heard great stories from Leanne and encouraging stories of a group of people who've done exactly that recently. If you aren't signed up for growth groups yet, I want you to flood Simon's email box. I want his Monday to be full of having to deal with emails of, I've never been in a group, I want to come along. 
And then from February the 7th, we'll be starting a new series in the book of Colossians, which I think will be of great value. It's a series we're going to call Firm Faith, so we're just leveraging where we've started to carry on. It will be in Colossians, and as we're doing going through the series, uh, I want us to not just do it for personal reasons, your own firm faith, I want you to have an eye on other people's firm faith. So as we read Colossians together, maybe one day down the track, you can take some of the materials that Simon's been developing and sit down with others and read Colossians with them. So that we'll have great opportunity when new Christians come into our presence to help them to be firm in their faith too. Uh, I've been talking to Mick during the week and we're we're really excited about starting some more mission events this year and, and getting back into some of those things. Wouldn't it be great if God blessed those and brought new people amongst us? I was talking to Kat as well about junior drivers. I'm hearing about people who've become Christians. Praise God for that as well. All of these new Christians and potential new Christians need to grow firm in their faith. Colossians is an excellent starting point for that in our sermon series for Term 1. So I hope you're excited about that and keen to get engaged as we go along. But for today, to our final point, firm faith, living as a Christian in our moment. See, the past told us to watch, watch that we don't have a false faith. The future tells us to have a firm or a a forged faith. But now verse 14. It says there, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Can you see there the motivation? See, Jesus has done. He has done this work for us. He has ascended into heaven. And see, our response, it's to hold firmly to the faith. And notice to the faith we profess. It says something about how our faith is outward-oriented all the time. We want to profess who we are as Christians as well. Of course, these responses can be hard. We know temptation, sin, that's real. We know it's hard to overcome besetting sin sometimes. But verse 15, we have such hope. See, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, Jesus is as good as it gets. He, He knows what it's like. He gets our lives. He's lived it, and he did it without sin. When he judges us at the end, he understands us. It won't be him trying to trap us in legal arguments, It won't be him looking at our lives lay bare thinking, so glad I don't need you in my kingdom. No, if we know him, he has empathised with us, he knows our weaknesses, he will let us into his kingdom forever, providing we trust in him. So we can be confident as we live out our lives as Christians here in Campbelltown, as we live into the world, So that verse 16, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this is not only talking about the end on on judgment day, this is talking about the pattern of the Christian life. Christians are never perfect in this life. We still sin, right? We do. And so in in one sense, verse 16 is saying, this is our time of need. We we always have a time of need because we're always sinning. And each time we have our time of need, we can repent. 
We can turn back to God. That's what repentance means. We can come back to the throne of grace. I think it's really important to have repentance as a part of your prayer life, a repentant life as a part of your church life. Uh, we are not a Roman Catholic church that says you have to go to a particular place and talk to a particular person, a priest, and repent and get told what to do. No, we can repent by praying directly to Jesus. We can turn to Him. But we also do it as a part of church life. Uh, we, we confess our sins together, generally. It'd be quite weird if we all sat together confessing our sins loudly to one another in a service. And as we repent, we approach God with confidence and we know that in Jesus, we are forgiven. The Christian life is a life of repentance. Not repentance so that you can be saved. No, 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 once you become a Christian, you're, you're a Christian. It's not in the kingdom, out of the kingdom, flip-flop, flip-flop, anything like that. But it's a life of repentance and turning back to Jesus to be more and more like him. The Anglican Church has actually got a DNA of confessing our sins. It's just a part of what we do together. We'll say confessions out loud and proudly together because we're praying to the Lord of the universe who can forgive. And then we'll be reminded corporately and together that Jesus forgives us by his blood. Well, let me draw this thing, these things together for today. I want to finish with a little story from my week. Uh, during the week, I, I met a man. Uh, we got to talking about our different faiths. Uh, he told me in his religion, he needs to go every week down to a river and wash himself to be spiritually clean. And he, he does this week on week on week, and he wouldn't want to miss a week over and over again. Now, of course, I was fascinated by his story. I, I hadn't heard of people particularly doing this today. And I had the chance to share the good news of Jesus with him. Sadly, not yet is he ready to, to turn to Jesus and believe that Jesus is greater than all other ways that we may attempt to come to uh, salvation. Hopefully, I pray, I'll have another conversation with him. But why do I tell the story? It's because there are people like this man everywhere. There are people all around us like this man, people trapped in the slavery of sin, people who are even trapped in false religion or slavery to the world. And here we are. We have such treasure in our hands. We have this wonderful, merciful Saviour offering salvation and assurance, confidence, to have relationship with him. We have a living word, an active word to read and, and to shape our faith. We have the lessons of the past so we don't repeat the failures of the past. And we have a knowledge of the future that Jesus is returning we need to fix our mind on him and keep that in our focus and attention. And so Hebrews 4 today is this challenge to each of us to individually take responsibility. Don't fall short of entering God's rest. Hold on to the promises you have. We need to hear that individually. But the writer to the Hebrews was never writing to individuals. He was always thinking corporately. He was always thinking us and we. He would never have imagined people coming to church and it's just me and my God. And there's 30 people in the church with me and my God and all independent. No, he is thinking us together, us as a church, as a fellowship, our God, who we come before as we gather. Here in the Campbelltown Anglican churches, may we hear this. May we understand the community dimension we have. 
Let us be careful together. Let us be concerned for more of us who enjoy what we have. We can dream of a world who knows Jesus, but we have to start somewhere. So how great would it be for us to see 5% of Campbelltown know Jesus, to join us on the last day, 10%, 20%. So many are in slavery. They need the good news. They need the promise of eternal rest. They need Jesus, the high priest, forever. Let us not individually fall short of that wonderful promise. Let us all together not fall short of entering God's rest. Let us all continue firm in faith. Amen.